Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today's episode is with Daniela Fernandez, who is head of the Sustainable Ocean Alliance in San Francisco. Uh, it's part of a special interview series I did at the Tonic Conference about ocean technology and how ocean technology can help us solve uh, the situation we have, which is that we are putting a huge amount of stress on the oceans which are, are one of our largest creative assets we have as a human species, but because they're part of this collective commons, this there a lot of most of the ocean is under territorial waters that isn't um, under any control over any centralized government. It's free to anyone for anyone to use. Uh, so it's an issue because people use it to excess, and uh, you know a huge portion of our population is dependent on the ocean for their livelihood. So it's a big problem, and these guys at Tonic are trying to funnel capital into technologies that might offer solutions to some of these grave problems we're facing. I uh, hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please let me know. Um, I'm on Twitter at Stuart Allsop, I-I-I. Uh, you can find me there tweeting, and let me know what you think of this episode. Let me know if you have any potential technologies that can help us solve our huge challenges that the oceans are facing today. Have a great day. So welcome to the Crazy Wisdom podcast. Uh, we're here today at Tonic, a ocean ocean um, conference where we're learning about ocean conservation. And it's interesting for the, the theme of stress and crea- creativity. Uh, we have a large creative asset, which is the ocean, and we're causing putting quite a bit of stress on it. And so today I've got the uh, founder and CEO of Sustainable Ocean Alliance, Daniela Fernandez. Really excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, so stress and creativity, we've got this large asset and we we are causing a lot of stress on it and it'll eventually start to cause us a lot of stress. What do you think about this? When will this happen? What, what, what's, what's the situation as we are right now? Yeah, absolutely. So it's happening now. Um, I think that, you know, for us folks that live in the Western part of the world, we see a lot less but when you travel to countries like Indonesia and Asia, I mean, one specific stressor is plastic, right? Let's, let's start there with plastic pollution. When you look at the, the figures by the year 2050, we're going to have more plastic than fish in the ocean by weight. Um, and think about the repercussions there, right? Not only for the animals that are in the water and that have to live with this waste day in and day out, but also on human health. Because as these plastics are floating in the water, they don't decompose. They only become smaller and smaller particles, which then fish ingest because they think it's food. And as a result, humans also are building now a tolerance to plastic because plastic um, microfibers and microplastics are building up in our bloodstream mm-hmm. as we eat more, more, of this, more of this toxic material. So it is actually affecting us right now, and we don't... Do we know what those effects those microplastics are having in our body? We don't know yet okay. because we don't know the buildup and what those effects could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is that as it builds up more and more and people that are being exposed to it, the more of a dangerous uh, health concern this will mm-hmm. be. Yeah, and we just don't know the downstream effects of that. As, uh, you know, in 20, 30 years, we don't know what interactions that's going to cause for human health, basically. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, but when you look at just the food chain supply right now, right, I mean, you don't want to eat a fish. 
whose stomach is full of plastic mm -hmm. and particles and toxins. You just don't want to do that. Yeah, it's not, yeah. mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's also ended up in our water too, correct? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the filtration systems that we just haven't solved for yet is microplastics. Mm -hmm. Because in the past, it was not an issue that people knew about. It wasn't an issue that people thought, you know, to retain from our water. So um, also when you look at when you wash your clothes, something that people also didn't know is that mm. every single time you wash your clothes, microfibers, which is, you know, the little fibers that come from your sweaters, your pants, your T-shirts, go into the ocean are causing plastic pollution. Mm. Interesting. So that's another source I didn't realize. So what are you guys doing in the Ocean, uh, uh, ocean Sustainability, or Sustainable Ocean Alliance uh, to, to help counteract this or get knowledge out there and stuff like that? Yeah, so our mission is to empower young people all over the world uh, to, to develop ocean solutions. Um, and that can be literally anything mm. from uh, planting coral reefs in your backyard, right? Um, to raising awareness about plastic pollution via art um, or to building an ocean technology company. Mm. Uh, so. What I saw when I founded the organization when I was 19 years old was that young people were not being included in the conversation and the the realm of the ocean space was still focused on the negativity and the problem, mm -hmm. but there was no one talking about solutions and actionable change. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a young person who has a passion or an idea and you don't nourish that and you don't nurture the fact that they can grow and become an entrepreneur and become a scientist um, and you don't give them the resources, the tools, the mentors to succeed, mm. you simply won't be able to you know, capture that, that momentum. Mm. And so through the organization, we do just that. We empower young people globally and we accelerate their ideas and solutions. Interesting. Uh, one of my friends in a previous podcast guest talks about how a lot of times overwhelm is the primary reason that we don't take action because we get really overwhelmed by the scale and the, the size of, of the of the problem and that that stops our creative uh, outlet and stuff like that you as a as an entrepreneur starting this organization you you're helping how do you deal with this overwhelm sensation that most people have? Yeah, I think for me, it was really fear and anger that led me to build this organization mm -hmm. because I was afraid for what our future would look like. And I was also just really upset at the current system, a system in which innovation was not a priority, a system in which young people were not being included in the conversation. And so I was overwhelmed by, by the problem itself. Mm -hmm. But I also felt as if, I had to create this path of action for me to be able to channel that overwhelmness into mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. And I think many people may feel those sensations of overwhelmness and they stop short because they've been taught their entire lives that you can point your finger at someone and blame them for mm -hmm. the situation. Mm -hmm. But the mentality that I've adopted and the mentality that I'm encouraging other people to adopt is don't point the finger and blame, mm -hmm. but rather take ownership of the problem yourself mm -hmm. and realize that you are one of the people that can make a difference mm -hmm. and create a solution um, and how are you doing that for people so specifically through two of our programs we oh. have a leadership program so we have young people in 165 countries mm. um, that are on the ground working on these projects and we help them um, via access to resources access to mentors and um, access to you know key events such as this one right where they can come and learn and speak and present their ideas mm. and then our other program is our accelerator program um, which is an accelerator uh, typical technology company accelerator where we bring our entrepreneurs through an eight-week program in San Francisco mm. And through the program, they learn about you know how to build your business plan, how to um, 
you know, talk to mentors uh, how to pitch your company mm. so they could then go off and, and raise some money. So you got 165 countries. What uh, What is the coolest idea? Or if you want to shout out to somebody, what is the, the coolest project that is currently being worked in what country? Yeah, so one of the coolest projects um, is in Liberia. Yeah. Um, our hub there, a group of our young leaders, um, are redesigning the entire infrastructure of the recycling system in their town. Mm. And when you look at the the main sources where plastic comes from, it's from Africa and Asia, mm. right? Mm. So these rivers that are very small and we don't see them or unless we travel to those parts of the world are the biggest polluters of plastic. Mm. And so if we have, you know, starting small, starting local, a small town mm. redesigning and building this infrastructure of change to get a hold of the plastic problem right there and then, it can then support, you know, the larger problem that exists. So that's one really cool project. Mm -hmm. And then a really cool company, um, it's called uh, Safety Net Technologies. Mm -hmm. And they're also working um, in the fishery space. So imagine a flashlight. They're attaching this electromechanical device to fishing nets. And mm. apparently they found out that fish see light differently. Mm. So depending on the wavelength that you turn the light, they can either attract or deflect the fish from coming to the net. Very interesting. They decrease the catch of the wrong fish by 90%, which is unbelievable. Wow. And what's that called again? Safety? Safety net technologies. Safety net technologies. That's really cool. And where is that from? They're from London. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, and so how did you build this organization? You, you just a lot of traveling like all the, over the place or are you doing a lot of uh, a lot of like uh, Skype calls or Zoom calls or anything like that or? Definitely a lot of travel. Um, yeah. I speak globally at <laughs> okay. this point. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I've been on uh, some great stages um, at the UN, you know, the World Economic Forum, you name it. Mm. Um, but also just building the community of partners and mentors and supporters mm -hmm. um, who believe in the issue and who also believe that helping young people reach their full potential is a part of a solution. Mm -hmm. And what has been your biggest stress in creating that? I think the biggest stress is that no one teaches you how to be a CEO out of college. <laughs> I, and I'm not sure you can teach that. I think that's something that you can only learn, like on the ground, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's been the biggest, most Im impactful thing that you've learned from that process? And what, or what, if you were to teach somebody, what would you teach them? Yeah, I would teach them about the importance of having self-awareness and knowing who you are as an individual and understanding what you're willing to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Because many times I feel like a lot of people, at least nowadays, uh, find entrepreneurship as this glamorous thing that, you know, you can do in your life, and, and, and it is. But on the other hand, it's also, you know, long hours, it's tough, it's a stressor on your body, on your mind, mm -hmm. um, on your well-being and your social life because mm -hmm your company and your organization is, is everything, mm. right? You, you wake up thinking about it, you go to bed thinking about it, it's not a nine to five job, but rather it's something that you just have to grow accustomed to working on um, and you have to know yourself to know how much you're willing to do for it. Mm. Yeah, something that I found really helpful is just, this is gonna get interesting if I can explain this, uh, talking about self-awareness, we have this idea that we are, are that who we are comes down to our frontal cortex and our personality and stuff like that, but that's just an aspect of who we are. We also, the, these um, individuals with a lot of unconscious uh, things that are going on, and so a lot of times finding out that thing that we that really drives us is about more about uncovering a lot of things, and so like getting through a lo what a lot of the frontal cortex is telling us we should be doing, but usually those are just post-rationalizations of, of, of the usually the frontal cortex is just making up an excuse for why we behaved when the actual root of the behavior is something much deeper and complex and stuff like that. And so for me, that, that's been really helpful in order to 
uh, find out the things that I really, really kind of drive me. And those things I just have to watch myself doing because it's not like I'm not like I'm telling myself that I have to do these things. Like, how do you view that that kind of like paying attention to intuition versus uh, versus establishing what you're going to do or, or coming up with a plan or something like that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, or, or? I think I've always followed my gut mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's always led me in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I first follow my gut and then make the plan to yeah. go along with it. Yeah. <laughs> because then if you make the plan first and you just you just feel it inside of you that it's not the right step, I just can't move forward with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding also some of the key questions that I ask myself before you know, making big decisions, one of them is, um, am I doing this for myself, mm-hmm. right? Or for other people? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how will this affect me in the next year, right? Something short term so that you really see the impact that this decision can have in your life. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And why, 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 why are you creating this organization? What, what, is the, what is the main driver for you? The main driver is wanting to help protect our planet. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a lot of time left. We have barely 10 years before the change is irreversible. Mm. And I feel responsible and I feel as if the work that I'm doing can not only inspire others to get involved, but also can empower and and bring them up, right? I I didn't have resources or mentorship or a system where I could just turn to and say, Daniela, here is a packet of how to build your organization. Mm. I had to do that by myself. And so if I can provide that support system and platform for others now and help them accelerate their ideas so they can change things today mm-hmm. not in 10 and 15 years mm-hmm. i think that's where i see mm-hmm. change happening how do you deal with the fact that we make these changes but we don't know the re- repercussions of what what we're doing how do you how do you work with that because it's essentially a human you know it's a human thing that we make a lot of changes but then we don't know the downstream effects of our changes yeah, I think you have to assess the impact, right? In any project that we work on, uh, whether it is a company or a, a young leader project, we help them figure out what is their commitment to the ocean, right? What is their impact? Um, how are they scaling? And what negative reper- repercussions could that have? Because, I mean, absolutely, right? If you solve one problem, you might be creating another problem. Um, but I think it's understanding, just being smart about the economics and the analysis of it early mm-hmm. on is helpful. Mm-hmm. Are there any like frameworks that you use or that your companies use at all for that? We do a lot of, of like typical like impact investing frameworks. Mm-hmm. Um, we also look at the United Nations uh, Development Goals mm-hmm. as a, a framework of what impact means mm-hmm. and what the biggest challenges are in the ocean space. Interesting. What, what does impact mean? So, for example, you can look at marine protected areas, right? How much of the marine protected area needs to be protected and how does a company mm. support that idea, right? Mm-hmm. Or if uh, we're looking at a fishing company, um, they might be depleted fishing stocks, right? Mm-hmm. In what ways is this company supporting either creating new jobs or um, making seafood more sustainable? So we're truly aligning ourselves with the mm. impact metrics that already exist. And that seems like a really interesting point because you've got impact, uh, you've got impact for the environment, and then you've got impact for jobs and human human uh, relationships. And this gets into the kind of like social dynamics of human beings and the human created world that we have, and then the natural world that we have, which is which has its own set of principles. Um, but we're part of that world. How do you balance that between impact for jobs and impact for environmental sustainability? Yeah, I think they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at the environment, anything that 
you're doing good for the environment, you're also helping people live a better lifestyle. Mm. Um, and when you when you look at the economics of it, if for example you're asking a village to stop fishing because the fishing are running out, you have to introduce a different model of an economic viability, mm. right? You have to say, okay, instead of fishing, you should do ecotourism and mm. teach tourists about the whale sharks in your village or the manta rays, right? Mm -hmm. But it's truly about working with the populations on the ground and figuring out like how can you help them help the environment. And that goes back to we have these imaginative imagination capabilities which as human beings have led us to take over the world essentially because we've we're able to tell stories and get other people involved in those stories, but those stories are essentially a creation of our imagination. And yet this is the thing that comes back to me as I'm listening to these these conversations is that that is both our uh, advantage and our uh, disadvantage because we create these these problems and now it's up to us to the, essentially go into our imaginations and come up with creative solutions that we can somehow tie to reality um, and then get people uh, involved just like you said getting in, in incentive structures having people buy into a story that ends up getting them jobs and also helping the environment exactly right and also when you look at the companies that we're investing in right we have three main requirements one of them is you have to have a positive impact in the ocean space mm -hmm. right because obviously we don't want to invest in a company that's mining the bottom of the ocean for example um, you have to uh, have scalability within your your business portfolio right mm -hmm. it's good if you solve an issue in, in let's say in your, your local village right in, in Mexico but how can you take the technology and apply it to Southeast Asia, right, or Africa, or North North uh, North America? Mm -hmm. um, and the third component is, is it profitable, right? Mm -hmm. Because unless we make the solutions profitable, they're not going to scale, and they're not going to receive the capital needed for them to um, be able to change an entire market. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. So you got uh, profitability, scalability, and positive impact, impact. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really cool. What are you most excited about? There's just a couple minutes left. What What are you most excited about over the next three three to six months for your for your company or for some of the companies that are you're involved with? Yeah, we just uh, announced our our new cohort, uh -huh. so we tripled in size. Wow. Uh, we went from five companies to fifteen in just one year, cool. uh, which is really exciting. And at Davos, we announced that we're going to accelerate hundred ocean tech companies in the next three years. And I think it's a very ambitious goal, but I also feel like we need to make these ambitious subordinate goals in our lifetime if we're going to achieve them. Mm. Um, so I'm just excited to meet the companies. I'm excited to um, encourage other young people and hopefully someone listening, you know, wants to be an ocean entrepreneur and, you know, can contact us and can get involved. Uh -huh. um, because if you don't, if you don't show someone and expose them to what a possibility could be, they don't know that that's a reality they can live in. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a huge part of like coaching and helping people is is just giving them options because as human individuals, we oftentimes get stuck in ruts uh, and we don't really know how to get out of them on our own. And so somebody else can come and reflect a new op option, a new opportunity. And that's like a huge, it opens up a new pathway, not only for ourselves, but our, our everyone that we uh, you know, all our descendants as well. Essentially, they they all get affected by this change, and everybody that they come into contact with. So it's really like when you make a positive impact on somebody's life, it not only extends in that moment, but it also extends throughout time, throughout history, basically. So, That's right. Yeah. Really, thank you very much for for coming on the show. And how can people find out more about you? Find out more about your organization? 
Yeah, you can go on um, soalliance.org. Um, you can also find me. I'm, I'm most active on, on Instagram. Um, cool. So DV Fernandez. Cool. Um, and yeah, anything else you want to share or anything you're really excited about? Or? We're definitely looking for ocean leaders. So if you know or you are an ocean leader yourself or want to become one, definitely sign up. Um, we have an ocean tech company. Sign up. We're also looking for mentors to help our entrepreneurs. So we ha- we're looking for scientists, business people, um, you know, CEOs, anyone who wants to provide um, support and time. That would mm-hmm. be helpful. Very cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it.